Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. And really, this joke does not fit with this message, so it's a little bit out of place, but I promise you I tell you the joke. Well, there was this man that used to berate his wife, and um, he would say, you know, honey, you sure are beautiful, but why did God make you so dumb? Yeah, I was like, look straight ahead, look straight ahead. <laughs> One day, she finally she got, she got tired of it, she, and, and she said, honey, you're right. God made women both beautiful and dumb. He made us beautiful so that men would fall in love with us, but he made us dumb enough that we would fall in love with a man. That was what I was trying to say. <laughs> Did I redeem myself? Okay. Well, good. That's the end of laughter for the morning because if you like the first service, you're going to be doing a lot, a lot of thinking as I, as I share. Now, at the outset, what I'm going to do is, in the interest of time, I'm just going to give you some scripture references that you could research on your own at home, and we're just going to, I'm going to tell you what they are, and again, you can look them up, Uh, but when we get into the meat of today's message, that's when we'll begin to flesh out uh, some of the scriptures we add. But this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 17, beginning with the 24th, 24th verse. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax. How many of you in this room are Jewish? Okay. I saw just a couple hands go up. Because we're not, and particularly also because we did not live in this time, the time of the temple, we're not familiar with some of the things the Bible uh, shares. It's just not part of our experience. So we have to research them and find out what was exactly going on. Well, what would happen it would be an annual census and we find in the book of Exodus, chapter 30, 11 through 15, Moses talks about this particular offering. And every male over the age of 20 was to give a half shekel tax, if you will, or offering uh, to help with the upkeep and the maintenance of the te- temple. Now, when Moses wrote this, it was a, a half shekel. But by the time of the New Testament, uh, coinage was... Uh, uh, primarily through uh, Roman money. So was, by this time, it was called the, the two drachma offering. So uh, once again, we, we, we know now the, the background, and, and we're, they're, they're in Capernaum. So we find out Jesus has just returned home. This is the, his headquarters for, for ministry, if you will. And as soon as he gets home, the tax man is waiting. How many of you have ever had a day like that? Well, the collectors of this two drachma tax... Now, this offering, a lot of people, you know, in the New Testament, you know, we have saints that complain about the concept of the tithe, but in reality, some of our complaining is built on the fact we don't really know the Bible very, very well. This offering was above the tithes. Um, If you know your Bible, there's actually three, say with me, three, three tithes in the Old Testament. Tithe is not a religious term. It's become a religious term, but all tithe means is tenth. So there were two, I'm sorry, three 10% offerings that uh, Moses commanded uh, the people of God uh, to participate in. The first was the sacred tithe. 
And we see this in Numbers 18, 21 through 24, as well as chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. Now, I, I talked about Moses uh, 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 commanding uh, the tithe, but, but the tithing, this particular tithe did not start with Moses. This tithe went back to Abraham and Melchizedek, and it was extended to the Levites. Uh, and actually, the book of Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus Christ himself receives this tithe today because he's in the order of Melchizedek. So number one was the sacred tithe that preceded the law and was established by our father in the faith, Abraham. Number two, the tithe for the feast. This is covered in Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. This tithe was for personal use. Uh, every year there were several annual pilgrimages and, and people would come from all over Israel to Jerusalem. And in order to fund those trips, God allowed them or asked them to put a tithe away. It's kind of like a, 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 a holiday or holy day vacation fund where you would uh, uh, provide for the needs of your family, get shelter, whatever you needed, so you could be in uh, Jerusalem uh, during the high holy days. Third, in Deuteronomy 14 and 28, God retired, uh, required a, 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 a tithe that's a little different than the others. It is a, the tithe for the poor. This was received every three years. The other tithes were every year. Uh, but this 10% was required every three years, and it was for the fatherless. It was for uh, the widows. It was for people in need, etc. cetera. Uh, and we see here from these three tithes that tithing in the, in the Old Covenant under Moses was very, very substantial. It was quite Rigorous. They gave at least 23.3% uh, of the income just to tithe. That didn't include the peace offerings, the, the, uh, didn't include the, the burn offerings, didn't include any of that stuff. And as we see here, didn't even include the temple tax. So the children of Israel uh, under the old covenant, they were financially connected to their God in every way. Now let's go back to Matthew 17, 24, now that we have a little bit more understanding. Scripture says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of an additional, on top of what they've already been giving to God, the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay this tax? We could quickly deduce from the question that obviously some people were not paying the tax, and he wanted to know what Jesus, or they wanted to know what Jesus' position was on the tax. And most of the, the, what was really going on, the backdrop was there was so much corruption by New Testament time amongst the Sadducees and the temple priests that many people didn't even want to give. And, and on, on principle, they, they, they didn't give. Back then, they had their own kind of preachers of L.A., you know. And, and, and now, I'm, I'm actually hearing from people, I don't want to go to church anymore because I watched a segment of Preachers of L.A., is your faith in a preacher? I mean, if your faith is that fragile, that one television program, you know what I'm saying? Ridiculous and absurd. By the way, as it relates to those guys, the only question that you should ask if you ask any is, did they come by it honestly? They came by it honestly, mind your business. All right, that'll help somebody. I feel the room stirring a little bit. <laughs> Let me tell you, ain't no preacher in Dallas, no preacher in New York, no preacher in L.A. that's going to stand between me and my God. Period. Period. All right. 
Now, a lot of people were not participating, and, and there were rabbis and the rest that were railing against this particular tax. And they wanted to know again what this rabbi, Jesus, had to say about it. But in the question, there's a more profound issue that, that's being raised. Because if Peter would have paid attention to the things that Christ had been teaching about himself, he would have answered this question differently. In fact, we're going to focus this morning on the next few verses where Jesus corrects Peter over his response to this particular question. Now, why, why was this an issue? Go to Matthew 12 and verse 6. Now, how many of you know that Matthew 17 comes after Matthew 12? Yeah. Not always the case, but a lot of things in the Bible are in order. And here, Matthew 12 clearly preceded Matthew 17. So Jesus had already said some things about himself. And in verse 6, let's listen to what the master said. He says, I tell you, something or someone greater than the temple is here. You see, in the ancient world, and, and it really the world hasn't changed much, the greater powers taxed the lesser powers. A king would never t pay taxes to a baron, but a baron would pay kings to, taxes to a what? King. Does that make sense in everyone's reasoning? Rome would not pay taxes to Palestine because it conquered Palestine. Palestine would pay taxes to Rome. And this was the pattern of, of just reality in the ancient world, and much of it we see today even in, in this world. Go to Hebrews 7 and 4. We're going to see that the inspired writer here picks up on this thought, and he says it this way. He says, see how great this man was. Now, the greatness of the man is about to be determined by what he receives from Abraham. See how great this man here is Melchizedek. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, several chapters are devoted to him. And, and, and we've talked, I think we talked about him in February, and we probably will a little later in this year pick up on it again, or at least the beginning of next year. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the what? Spoils. We see in this passage that the greatness of Melchizedek is established by the fact that Abraham tithed to him and not vice versa. You see that? Who received the tithe was an indication of great. Does that make sense? I, I want to make sure we get this. How many of you in this room pay your taxes because you just feel like it? <laughs> Two of you. <laughs> Most of us pay taxes because there's an IRS. There are IRS officers. There are police officers. Because the government's more powerful than us, we submit. And now listen, you should listen. We need roads, we need streets, we need armies, so we should give with right hearts. But, but the reality is, if it was left to us, none of our taxes would be as high as they are. And we only pay the, the level of taxes we pay because it's demanded by a stronger power. You see, tithing particularly in the ancient world, they, they got it. Tithing is simply our way of saying to God, you know what? You're greater than me. That when, when we, okay, I knew it was going to be like this, this service. I knew it. Tithing is simply saying, God, you're a higher power. This is your world. This is your earth. This is your planet. 
This is your body I'm in. This is your air I breathe. This is your ground I'm standing on. So this is my way. This is the way I nod to you and acknowledge you for who you are. Do you understand? So the tithe has great spiritual value that did not begin with Moses. It began with our father Abraham. And Melchizedek was the priest that participated in it. And the Bible, when it speaks of Christ's priesthood, who does he compare him to? Not Aaron, but to this Melchizedek. And we know from past studies, Melchizedek only did three things. The first thing he did was bring the oil, I'm sorry, the wine and the bread. The second thing Melchizedek did was bless Abraham. And the third thing he did was receive the tithe. So when Jesus came, he didn't want it to be too complicated for anybody. The Bible says over and over again, at least five times in the, in the book of Hebrews, that Christ Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, meaning that's the pattern. So there's only three things, according to Scripture, that Jesus does. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, he who receives the tithe lives forever. And it was speaking of Christ. So when we tithe, we are nodding to Jesus saying, you know what? You are greater than I. And this is the way I honor you. All right. You're going to pull with me in a few minutes, though. Matthew 17 and 25. And we have to go over this at least once or twice a year to refresh you and to deepen your faith in the subject. They had asked Peter if Jesus had paid the tax. And then Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter opens mouth and inserts foot. He just has a way of doing this. He said, yes. Obviously, Peter's not lying. Peter has seen the master pay this tax. But the problem is Peter made the right observation but did not understand Christ's motivation. And sometimes we can see people doing things but not understand why and come away with some confusion. And when he had come into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. It's clear that Jesus is about to address him supernaturally. He knows without being told the mistake or or the misinformation or I guess the, the wrong response that Peter had given to the tax collector. But before he could insert foot in mouth again, Jesus tried to spare him by asking him a question. So he said, Peter, what do you think? According to this question, where do you think Peter's problem lied? In his thinking. The root of most of our problems lie in our mentalities. In our way of thinking, change a person's mind, change a person's life. But you can't change a life without changing a mind. He said, what do you think? You're getting this wrong, man. Your thinking's not right. I know you, 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 you studied the Bible as a kid. I know that you've been listening to my preach, but your thinking is still not right. Peter, from whom did the kings of the earth take toll Or tax from their sons or from others. Everybody knew that a king did not tax the royal family. A child of the king was exempt from taxation. So Jesus said, then the sons are what? Free. Who said that? Jesus. If you feel taxed by God, according to Jesus, you are not free. 
If every week you come to church and give God a weekly burden, <laughs> y'all not hearing me. I mean, every week I got to do this church, I got a burden. If that is your mentality, according to the master, you are in bondage. I'm going to help you now. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Let's, let's dig into this. Don't get too mad at me. I'm just being a good pastor. It's not my opinion. We're in the book. Paul says by the Holy Spirit, he says, each one. He could have said, every, I'm sorry, every. That's D.C. Every one. He didn't say everybody else. He said, each one must, must is a mandate, give. Pay attention. He didn't say pay. He said give. There is a huge difference between trying to pay God for something and giving to God. Many of our problems is we pay in our tithes. That's your problem. You cannot pay God anything. Everything you have, he already owns. What you going to give to God that he don't first have? How dare you talk about paying God for something he gave you? No, 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 no. He said each one must give as he has decided. Not because the pastor shook out his leg and preached good. Not because you were Manipulate into some emotional state. I'm preaching the word here. But on the fact that you have made a principled decision to please God in this way, he said each one must give as he has made a decision or decided in his heart. When God shows up in your heart, he'll show up in your decisions. When God changes your heart, it'll inform your decisions. Then Paul goes on and says something. He says, not reluctantly. I kind of see him stamping his foot a little bit. See, a lot of us came from other religious leaders. You had a different type of pastor before, and that pastor beat you into submission, and, and, and you think that's the way it's supposed to be. Paul corrects this. Before they could give right, they had to learn how not to give. So let's look at how not to give. Not reluctantly. We never give under or with grief. Feeling sorry and regretful of what we're letting for. And it takes them on around here. We do not give reluctantly. Then he goes on. I'm going to put an N on the or, nor under compulsion. That means out of obligation, the twisting of the arm. You know, the pastor's going to keep saying it. We, okay, I'm finally giving in. There's no reward when you give under pressure. If, God, if your pastor has to beat you up for it, 
he might as well just ripped you off. Because God will not honor that. And people sometimes, I've even had other pastors criticize me for my approach. I refuse to, to harp on people, beat on people about money. I won't do it. My job is simply to proclaim the word, and then you make a decision about what you're going to do. And let me tell you something. If you look around, that's going pretty well. Because that's the way God designed it. Now watch what else he says. He says, for God loves. Who wants to be what God loves? Mm -hmm. God loves a cheerful. The word there in the Greek there literally means those whose faces laugh and shine. (laughs) Offering is happy time. It's because we know it pleases the Father. And we're excited about it when you do it with the right spirit. There's no begrudging, no reluctance, no one's twisting your arm, no manipulation. No, the pastor's not showing you the holes in the food, the shoes, and pointing to the holes in the building and saying you need to feel guilty, need to feel guilty, need to feel guilty. That is wrong. You hear me? For God loves a cheerful, happy, hilarious giver. You see, a cheerful giver does not give out of obligation, but out of gratitude. Lord, because you've been so good to me. Lord, because you love me, Father. Because you gave me the ability to go to work. Because you you gave me strength in my arms, strength in my mind, strength in my hands. God, it's a privilege to worship you in this way. God, all you're asking me for is a dime out of my dollar. You know what? If I was a God and I was going to be a partner, I'd ask for far more. But that's all you're asking for, but you, and you gave me the strength to do what I needed. God, I am so grateful. That's all you want, Lord? If that's your, Lord, you sure that you want? When your attitude becomes like that, that's when you step into blessing. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media. 